Uh, it's hard to imagine that only like, I don't know, three or four weeks ago we were in the Christmas season. There is a movie that I love and we watch uh, pro- pretty much every single year. Uh, it's movie Elf, if you all remember or have seen the movie Elf. Uh, so it's about this guy named Buddy the Elf who travels. He's one of Santa's elves in the North Pole. He travels to uh, New York City to find his, his human birth father. Uh, and he begins to work at Gimbel's department store uh, and uh, in the toy department. And there's a scene there with the uh, department manager, the toy department manager, one of my favorite characters in all of like movie history. And he, the manager makes this announcement to everyone in the store. Hey, tomorrow, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. And if you all have seen this, this movie, you know this scene uh, where, you know, Buddy just goes ballistic. He's like, Santa, Santa, oh my goodness, I know him, I know him. And he goes nuts, right? Uh, I love this, this stupid little scene uh, in this movie. And I'll come back to it in a second. Uh, we are in this series, week number three of the series called Knowing God's Truth. And it's a series on systematic theology. It's an introduction to systematic theology. Now, you may be new to church or maybe you've been around for a while, uh, theology really just means words about God. So we're studying about who God is. Uh, systematic theology is cha- just taking the, the ideas, um, the teachings of scripture uh, that are found in the Bible and categorizing or organizing them into different categories or subjects like, uh, like who is God, which we'll be talking about today. Uh, who, what is man? What is sin? What is heaven and hell? Angels and demons, end times, things. So we're looking at all of those things in this series called Knowing God's Truth. It is based upon a book, which we have I think eight copies left. If you're interested, uh, you can grab a copy for 10 bucks, uh, or if you can't afford that, just grab one. We'd la- love for you to grab one and use that. Uh, but we're in this series, and today we're tackling really what is, I think, the biggest, broadest question that we'll see throughout this series. Uh, it'll be more specific in coming weeks, but today's question that we're answering is, who is God? Who is God? This is, the term would be uh, theology proper. Now, all of theology is is really about who is God, but this is specifically about the the person, the character, the nature of of God. And so, you know, we could never fully answer this question in a hundred sermons, much less one, but we're going to give it a shot this morning to at least introduce us to uh, the answer to this question, who is God? Let me start by saying this. There is a danger in knowing a lot about God and yet missing the most important thing, which is to to know God, not just to know about him, right? This is why I brought up that scene in Elf, because you know what Buddy's excited about? Buddy's not excited because he knows a lot about Santa. It's because he what? He knows him. He knows what he looks like. He knows uh, what he is like as a person. He knows what he smells like, and it's not beef and cheese, if you've seen the movie, right? He can spot a fake because he knows him. And so today, I want to try to walk a line this morning. I want to give us some information that we ought to know, some things we ought to know about who God is, but I don't want to miss the main point. And it's the main point, really, of the series is we want to know God better so that we can love him and worship him uh, more rightly. That is the goal behind all of this. And so, you know, we need to first recognize this, is that we, we have a knowable God. We have a knowable God. We talked about this last week with this doctrine or teaching about Scripture, is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. 
He's not hiding who he is. He has revealed himself through the pages of his word. Uh, And so we have a noble God who wants to be known. The reason he's revealed himself to us is not so we can know a bunch of facts about him, but so that we could know him and have a relationship with him. Besides, the, the, the point of all that we're doing, the point of theology, is not to try to know everything that can be known about God. The, the goal is, really like any human relationship, is to know him better so that we can have a better relationship with him. Think about that with you know, your friends or if you're married, your spouse. Like the goal, or if you have kids, the goal isn't to know everything there is to know about that person. The goal is, over time, you know them better. You know more about them. And in knowing them better, you can love them better and have a better relationship with them. And so that is the goal of this series. That's the goal of this morning as we attempt to kind of start to answer the question, who is God? So... I want to encourage you all, if you have a Bible, whether it's a physical Bible or, you know, maybe an app on your phone, would you turn to Revelation chapter 4? We're going to read a couple verses out of the book of Revelation. And if you would, I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you're able to do that. We do this because we believe the Bible is God's word. It is truth. It is life. As we've said, he reveals himself to us through the scriptures. We're going to read uh, two verses, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 8, and then we'll skip down to verse number 11. Here is what God's word says. Verse number eight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, who was and is and is to come. Verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is God's word. Amen. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Thank you that, again, you have not hidden yourself from us. You have revealed yourself to us. God, though we could never know everything there is to know about you, God, you have given us everything that we need to know you and have a relationship with you, to trust you, to follow you. And so, God, thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you for uh, the fact that we can gather together and learn more about you, God. And our desire today is to, is to know you better so we can worship you more fully and more rightly. And so, God, would you open our eyes and our minds today, God, whether we've been in church for years and years or maybe this is the first time we're walking into a building like this, God, I pray that you would uh, help us to see uh, who you are. G- would you give us just a glimpse into your nature and your character, God, so that we could, uh, we could come into relationship with you and we can worship you the way you deserve to be worshiped. And so, God, would you speak to us? Would you meet with us, we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all. Why don't you have a seat? So I want to start with a quote that's a pretty well-known quote. It's by uh, an old dead guy, an old theologian named A.W. Tozer. The quote goes this way. uh, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if that is true, then what is at stake if we get this doctrine of God wrong? 
if we, get, if we answer the question, who is God, wrongly, what is at stake? Well, we will, if, if we get this wrong, we will most likely get every other teaching or doctrine wrong because everything really flows out of this big one, who is God? So every other teaching and doctrine in the Bible is, is like a limb, right? It's, it's maybe strong and needed and necessary, but, but this doctrine we're talking about today, who is God, is like the trunk, Every other teaching flows out of this one. So we got to get this one correct. Uh, also, uh, if we or when we think about him wrongly, we relate to him wrongly. If we think about him wrongly, we relate to him wrongly. So let me give you, give you a human uh, illustration. Have you all ever disliked someone before you even knew them? Like there was something about them and you're just like, mm, I don't like this person. And then you started to get to know him a little bit and you're like, oh, okay. They're, they're not so bad. And then after some time, you're like, okay, I actually like this person. And some of you are even like, okay, I want to marry this person. <laughs> Maybe some of you uh, not that way with my wife. I loved her from the moment I laid eyes on her. Um, <laughs> she, she, did you hear her? She's like, <laughs> uh, oh, man, we are truly in love, my wife and I. Um, but see, when you, re- when you think wrongly or you have misconceptions about someone, you think wrongly about them, you relate to them wrongly. You're like, I don't have anything to do with them. You stay away from them. But th- that's, that's the case with, with God. If we think wrongly about him, uh, that affects how we relate to him. And it affects so many things in our everyday lives. So I introduced uh, at the beginning of this series, and we're using this as a framework for each week, uh, the idea of head, heart, and hands. That the gospel and the theology that we're looking at should impact us holistically as a whole person. Our head, our heart, and our hands. So our head speaks to our thinking and our knowledge and our understanding. So we want to think rightly, but also it should impact not just our heads, but our hearts. How we feel, our passions, our desires, our affections. And then it should flow out through our, through our hands, our, our actions. What do we do with this? It should impact how we think, how we feel, and how we act or how we live. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to follow that same framework, head, heart, hands. So first of all, let's start with the head. What, what do we need to know about who God is? So I'm going I'm to attempt to address this in, in kind of two separate parts or two questions. Who is God and what is God like? So let's start with that first one. Who is God? And I'm going to give you a, a pretty simple but complex statement here. God is triune. God is triune. That's not a word that we typically use. That just means trinity. He is, is, is one, and yet he is three. He is three persons. This is one of the most difficult, complex doctrines in the Bible. It is mysterious. I don't care how long you've been in church. Uh, there is mystery to this. It is hard to grasp or, or fathom uh, because we are simply finite Uh, natural human beings who are simply attempting to understand uh, the infinite and the divine and the supernatural. And so, of course, there is some some mystery to all of this. Here here is what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches and what Orthodox Christianity throughout the the, the generations has, has taught. Trinity means this. God is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. One God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each one is fully God and yet is, is distinct 
as a person and have, has distinct roles. Uh, in fact, let me, let me share with, with you uh, something I've heard uh, that helps me when I think about the distinct roles of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Here it is. God the Father initiates the plan for salvation. God the Son accomplishes salvation. God the Spirit applies salvation. So when we talk about salvation, we're talking about the fact that we are sinners separated from God. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves or to forgive or remove our sins. Uh, and so God uh, has, has, first of all, initiated the plan for salvation. God the Father, it was his idea to save sinners like us. Uh, it was his plan that he put into motion. He sent the Son to earth to rescue us from our sin. God the Father initiates the plan. God the Son, speaking of Jesus Christ, accomplishes salvation. So Jesus has come to earth as God in a human body, lived a perfectly sinless life, uh, perfectly obedient to the Father, perfectly in line with the law of God, breaking none of God's commands whatsoever. Uh, and as a perfect human, he sacrificed himself through a substitutionary death on the cross, took our sin upon himself, and he, through his death, burial, resurrection, accomplished salvation for us. So we don't accomplish salvation. We don't save ourselves. We don't uh, do good things or earn the love or forgiveness of God. No, God the Son accomplishes salvation. God the Father initiates. He sends his Son. Jesus the Son accomplishes it. And then God the Spirit applies salvation. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God uh, takes uh, he, he is the one who wants, he is the one who brings uh, illumination to our hearts and our minds. He helps us to understand and he reveals who God is and he reveals our sinfulness and he is the one who brings conviction to our hearts. He is the one that enables us to repent or turn from our sins and believe in Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who applies this. Because we are dead in our sins and we could not do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts. And so these are the distinct roles of, of the Godhead as, as another term we could use for Trinity. God the Father initiates. God the Son accomplishes. God the Spirit applies. Now, there's all kinds of verses we could look at throughout the scriptures. I want to just point out a couple to us this morning. Matthew 28, verse number 19. This is Jesus after his death, burial, resurrection. He's, he's come back to life and appeared to his disciples, getting ready to ascend to the Father. But he leaves this, this final statement with his disciples. They're marching orders before he ascends back to the Father, what we call the Great Commission. He says, go therefore, make disciples or followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Okay, so he's talking about one singular name, but he mentions three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we see this all throughout the New Testament that writers address God, this one God who exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, let, let's rewind all the way back. So we're, we're just in the beginning of the New Testament. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Old Testament in the Bible. Genesis 1, chapter 1, makes this, this infamous statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's speaking of, of one singular God, right? Well, then we fast forward a few verses into creation week as God has created all things. And it comes to day number 6 when he creates man, verse number 26 and 27, it says, uh, then God said, this one singular God, and pay attention to the pronouns here. He says, let us make man in our image after 
our likeness and let them have dominion over all things on the earth. So God is, is having a conversation with himself, his triune self, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Let us make man in our image. Verse number 27 goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so there's this persistent theme throughout the scriptures that there is one God, but he exists in three distinct persons. This is not polytheism, which means many gods. This is one God in three persons. Now, we could spend so much time here and still never drill to the bottom of this, um, but this is who God is. God is is Trinity. He is triune, our triune God. So I want to move into this next kind of portion and question where we spend most of our time, which is the question, what is God like? What is God like? Now, when we talk about what God is like, we're talking about his, his attributes, all right, his character qualities. So uh, if you were to pull out of your wallet or your purse, uh, your driver's license, or if I were to pull out my South Carolina driver's license, uh, you could look at that thing and learn some facts and details right, about a person. So if you looked at mine, you would see uh, how old I am. You'd see that I was born in 1975, all right? Uh, I say that because I met somebody else who was born in 1975 earlier. I had to shout that out. Uh, you, would see, uh, you would see that I'm a male. You would see that I'm 5 foot 11. You would see that I weigh 180 pounds, give or take a few, all right, um, somewhere in that vicinity. You would see that my eyes are, are brown. Here's one thing I noticed, and I don't know if this is a South Carolina thing uh, or maybe this is all over. Uh, it doesn't have my hair color. Y'all remember, like, like, at least where I've lived, it has the hair color uh, on there. I think for some of you, you're like, hey, that makes sense because I have none. Uh, so how do you answer that? How do you put the hair color down? Uh, so you could, you, could get some, you could find out some basic details uh, in facts about me. You wouldn't get to know a lot about who I am, right? But this is what we're talking about, like attributes of God. What is God like? Uh, we're not talking about, like, kids' questions like, well, how tall is God? How much does God weigh? What are God's eye color? We're talking about his nature, attributes of, of God. What is he like? And so I'm going to split this up into two different categories. Uh, these are big words. Hang with me for a second. Incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Those are big words, but I know you know what they mean, at least if you were alive through 2020 and COVID and all that stuff. Remember talking about communicable diseases? Uh, what's that mean? It means those are things that can be transmitted or passed on, right? They can be shared, uh, unfortunately. So when we talk about incommunicable attributes, these are, these are character qualities or traits that only God possesses. These are things that he doesn't share. These are things that, that, that set him apart from humans. Incommunicable, but communicable attributes, on the other hand, are things that are true of God and will always be, for all of eternity, true of God, but they can also be true of us. When we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells within us, and as we, as we grow in our faith, as we walk in obedience to God, these are things that God can produce in us. This is why we refer to Romans 8.29 that says we are to be conformed to the image of of Christ. It doesn't mean we want to look like him physically. It means that our character qualities will be like his. 
And so I'm going to invite uh, the other Andrew up here uh, for a few minutes. And the reason I'm doing this is because I'm going to read through uh, a, a list of incommunicable and a list of, of communicable attributes of God. And again, the danger is that I could read through all these things and it becomes very academic. Right? We want to learn a lot of things about God. And yet the goal is I want us to see some of these things in a way that is is worshipful, that draws us to a place of worship. And so I'm borrowing the, the list, these two lists, from uh, a book that I've referenced over uh, the last couple weeks. It's called You Are a Theologian. Uh, it's by Jen Wilkin and uh, J.T. English. Great book that I'm, is kind of uh, you know, a partner to me in reading Knowing God's Truth. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list uh, of God's uh, attributes, but it's a great starting point. Uh, I have included a PDF kind of download uh, in our digital bulletin and sermon notes. Uh, it'll be online if you're interested. It has descriptions for each of these and it has scripture verses. So if you want to dive deeper into this, if you want to even use this devotionally in your time of worshiping God, man, I would encourage you to be like the Bereans. Don't just take my word. Um, see what the scriptures say. Go read through the scriptures and allow it to bring your heart to a place of worship. But I want to read through these for the next few moments, and, and I want you all to just listen and just think about the character and the nature of, of God. Maybe you want to even close your eyes, maybe you just want to imagine and, and hear these things and, and, and think about who God is. So we're going to start with incommunicable attributes. These are things that, that are God's alone. Only God can be infinite. God has no limits or bounds whatsoever in his person or dominion. He is infinite, incomprehensible. Because God is God, he is beyond the understanding of humans. His ways, character, and acts are higher than ours. We only understand as God chooses to reveal himself, his ways, or his purposes. He is incomprehensible self-existent. God depends on nothing for his existence beyond himself. The whole basis of his ex existence is within himself. At one time, nothing but God himself existed. He added nothing to himself by creation. He is self-existent, self-sufficient. Within himself, God is able to act, that is, to bring about his will without any assistance. Although he may choose to use assistance, it is his good pleasure, not his need, that governs that choice. He is self-sufficient, eternal. God has no beginning and he has no end. He is not confined to the finiteness of time or to man's reckoning of time. He is eternal, immutable. God is always the same in his nature, his character, in his will. He never changes and he can never be made to change. He is immutable. Omniscient, God knows all, he is all knowing. He has perfect knowledge of everything that is past, present, and future. He is omniscient, omnipotent. God possesses all power, he is all powerful. He is able to bring about anything he has decided to do with or without the use of any source beyond himself. He is omnipotent, omnipresent. 
God is present everywhere in all the universe at all times in the totality of his character. He is omnipresent, sovereign. God is totally, supremely, and preeminently over all his creation. There is not a person or thing that has escaped his control and foreknown plan. He is sovereign and transcendent. God is above his creation and he would exist if there were no creation. His existence is totally apart from his creatures or creation. He is transcendent. Only God is infinite, incomprehensible, self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal, immutable, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, sovereign, and transcendent. Communicable attributes, these are things that belong to God, that God possesses, and yet they can be transmitted to us. These are things that we can be uh, by the grace of God, by His Spirit's work in us. God is and we can be holy. God is a morally excellent, perfect being. He is totally other than man. He is purity of being in every aspect. He is holy. Loving. God's love moves him to give himself for another, even to lay down his own life. His love causes him to desire his creature's highest good. This love is not based on the worth, response, or merit of the object being loved. He is loving, just. God is fair in all of his actions, whether he deals with man, angels, or demons. He acts in total equity by rewarding righteousness and punishing sin. Since he knows all, every decree is absolutely just. He is just. Good. In his goodness, God gives to others, not according to what they deserve, but according to his goodwill and kindness toward them. He is good. Merciful. God is an actively compassionate being. He responds compassionately toward those who have opposed his will in their pursuit of their own way. He is merciful. Gracious. God demonstrates unmerited favor toward his creation. His common grace is shown toward everything he has made. And his special grace is shown toward those who have received salvation through Christ. He is gracious, long-suffering. God's righteous anger is slow to be kindled against those who fail to listen to his warnings or to obey his instructions. His eternal longing for highest good for his creatures holds back his holy justice. He is long-suffering wise. God's actions are based on his character. His wisdom causes him to choose righteous ends and to make the most fitting plans to achieve those ends. He is wise. Jealous, jealous for his own glory. God is unwilling to share what is rightfully and morally his with any other creature. He is jealous, wrathful, 
there is within God a hatred for all that is unrighteous and an unquenchable desire to punish all unrighteousness. Whatever is inconsistent with his holy standard must ultimately be consumed. He is wrathful. Faithful. God is always true to his promises. He can never draw back from his promises of blessing or of judgment. Since he cannot lie, he is totally steadfast to what he has spoken. He is faithful, righteous. God is always good. It is essential to his character. He always does the right thing. Ultimately, since he is God, whatever he does is right. He is the absolute. His actions are always consistent with his character, which is love. He is righteous, truthful. All that God says is reality, whether believed by man or not, whether seen as reality or not, what God has spoken is reality. Whatever he speaks is truth. God is holy, he is loving, he is just, he is good, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is long-suffering, he is wise, he is jealous, he is wrathful, he is faithful, he is righteous, he is truthful. And oh God, I can't help but worship you because of who you are. This could never be an academic exercise. When we realize your justice and your wrath, and in light of that, your love and your grace and your mercy and your long suffering towards us, God, thank you that this is who you are. Thank you that you are faithful and true. God, we love you. We thank you for all of these things. Help us, Lord, to get a glimpse into your goodness and glory and mercy today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoa, that was hard for me. <laughs> I want to give us a couple of summaries of who God is. And I know every single summary we could mention will fall short um, of who God is, but let me, let me give you two. One is from what we call the New City Catechism. Um, a catechism is a, a question and answer way of learning. We used this with our kids' ministry last year. We're using it with our youth ministry this year. Uh, question number two in New City Catechism is this, what is God? And I think this is a good uh, summary. It's, it's, it's wordy, but let me read it to you. What is God? Here's the answer. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. I think that's a great uh, answer. Uh, I challenge you to memorize that. I, I couldn't do it. It's a long bit. Let me give you a simpler summary. When I think of, of, of a couple words to summarize the, the character and nature of God, I think of the apostle uh, John's summary in first, the epistle of 1 John. So John summarizes it in a couple ways. In 1 John, he says, God is light. God is love. 
God is light. God is love. Let me read you those verses. 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. Fast forward a couple verses. 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Here it is, because God is love. So I love I loved the Apostle John's summary. God is light. God is love. God is light speaks to his, his holiness and his righteousness, his transcendence. God is light. And yet God is love speaks to his, his grace and his mercy and his, his goodness towards us. God is light. God is love. All right, so that's a lot. That's the head, the head portion, some things that we need to know. Let's talk about, for just a minute, the heart. The heart, and I don't think we, hopefully we don't have to spend a lot of time here. Uh, as you hear all of these attributes, like what does it stir up within your, your heart? Hopefully, like it did for me, it stirs up worship, right? All in, in affection and adoration. Like, how could a being like that love a being like this, right? It should draw us in our hearts to, to worship. Let me say it this way. Knowing about God, excuse me, I got to deal with this mess for a second. Knowing about God should confound our mind. It should blow our mind. Knowing all these things about God. Knowing God should captivate our hearts. Knowing about him should blow our minds, but knowing him, knowing who we are, should captivate our hearts. It should lead us to a place of, of humility and, and gratitude and obedience. So heart knowing all of these things, and the more that we know about the character of God, the more it draws our heart to a place of worship. All right, so hands. Let's hit this third one. How do we live in light of all of this that we've seen this morning? Now, the application every single week of this series could be really simple and very repetitive. We could just say it this way. Read your Bible, right? Spend time with God. But I'm going to try to phrase this in a slightly different way today. Uh, I want to borrow this from a guy named Paul Tripp um, and also from the song that we just sang a little bit earlier. One of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount. So here's, here's what I would say. How do we live in light of all of this that we see about who God is and what he is like? Here it is. Tune your heart daily. Tune your heart daily. Now, some of you are like, um, man, uh, I have a hard time getting in tune, right? When we come together and we try to sing, and some of you are like, uh, this is not going to be easy for me because I have a hard time singing uh, on key. We're not talking about tuning your voices. We're talking about tuning your heart. So think about a world-class orchestra. Anybody ever seen an orchestra or heard one, watched? Like, do they break into their symphony, like the moment it begins, the moment you step in, into the place? No, what do they do? What does an orchestra do? They do that, the, the tuning, right? They're playing, they're making noise. It sounds like, man, I hope it sounds better once they get started because it sounds awful. But what are they doing? Every single player is trying to get in harmony with every 
other player. They're trying to get in tune, right? And so think about our lives and our relationship with God. If we're going to live in harmony with God, if, if our lives are going to make beautiful music, we have to tune our hearts, get our hearts in tune with God. So we'll talk about this in a moment, like how, what does that, what does that look like? But let me ask this question, like when do we do this? How often do we do this? Think about an orchestra. Does an orchestra do this every I don't know, every few months or every few performances? No, they do it every single time before every, each and every concert. They get in tune. So how often do we need to tune our hearts? Do we need to tune our hearts every few weeks, like pick up our Bible at home every few weeks? Uh, do we need to tune our hearts every Sunday when we come to church? Uh, yeah, those are, those are, that's, that's good to do that together. Let me ask a better question. How often does your heart get out of tune with the heart of God? How often does your heart get out of tune with the heart of God? I'll tell you what it is for me. It's every stinking day, y'all. I wake up and roll out of bed, and my heart is singing its own tune. It is singing for its own praise and its own glory. This is why I love that song, Come Thou Fount. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. God, you need to do some work in my heart to tune my heart, to bring my heart into harmony with yours. Because naturally, we don't do that. Naturally, I don't do that. So what does this look like to tune our hearts daily? Well, I could say, read your Bible, pray, have your quiet time, do your devotions. I could say, let me put it in some different terminology to, to help us grasp what is actually taking place when we tune our hearts. Here's a phrase I want to use, enter his sanctuary. All right, so I have a couple places in my house. One is, is you know, this fold-out futon in my bedroom where I just, like, that's where I open my Bible and I spend time with God. Um, and there's another room in my house where I do sometimes, but mainly it's there. Okay, I don't, I don't think that I'm entering into a temple or a sanctuary when I sit on that old Ikea futon, all right? It doesn't feel like a sanctuary there. But here is, is the reality, is we're not just opening a book. We're not just going to go read something written on a page. No, we are entering into the presence of God. We're entering into the presence of, of God, and so as we do that, as our, as our eyes are on a page, our hearts should be turned upwards, gazing at him in, in worship, and we are in the, that moment there to surrender our, ourselves to him. God, it's, it's not what I want today. It's, 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 not, it's not anything about me. This is about you. I surrender myself, and I surrender my, my thoughts and my activity, all that I do today. God, I want to honor you. We're examining and confessing our heart. Is there an, an anxiety or a worry or a fear in my life that I need to let go of? Is there something I'm trying to control that I need to surrender to God? And in this moment, I'm going to cry out and I'm going to cry out to the one who can help me and can give me guidance in my day. I'm entering a sanctuary and I'm going to, God, tune my heart to line up with your heart. God, help me to see people and situations today the way that you see them, not through my eyes of flesh, but through your eyes of, of faith. Help me to see things the way that you do. Tune my heart so that I could sing your grace today. This is, is what it looks like. So for some of you, listen, 
This is not a normal practice. For some of you, this may require getting up earlier. This may require setting aside special time. This absolutely will require being intentional if you're going to tune your heart daily. But what is the alternative? The alternative is I'm just going to go through my day and I'm just going to live uh, every day with my heart completely out of tune with God. It's like if the orchestra just and they came up and they just started playing every time, making horrible music. That is the alternative. Us just, just winging it every day. Let's, I'm just going to do my best, try my best, hope for the best, rather than getting with God. Even for five minutes. It can be five minutes, 50 minutes, whatever. Five hours. Get with God and let him tune your heart to his heart. Listen, if you do this daily, I'm not going to promise you it's going to eliminate difficulty in your life. It's not going to eliminate suffering in your life. But listen, if you and I will get our hearts in tune with God, our lives can still sing even in the midst of suffering and trial and hardship. But we have to tune our hearts to his. And if, listen, if all these things are true that we've talked about. If all of these attributes, if he is truly all of the things that we have seen here and much, much more, how could we not? Why would we not lean into, into him and into our relationship with him? And so I want to encourage you today. I'm not here to beat you down, but if this is not a practice in your life, y'all, can I encourage you to, to try it even for the next six days? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to tune your heart, to take just a few minutes even to tune your hearts. Maybe use the attributes and walk through a couple a day, read through the scriptures and get your heart in tune with this God who loves you dearly. Let me, let me read to you Psalm 86. It says this, Verses 8 through 10, the psalmist says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Verse number 15, he says this, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So let me end where we kind of started this morning. There's a lot to know about God. We, there's far more than we will ever, 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 ever be able to know about him. But here's what is most important, is that we have a knowable God that wants to be known. Actually, let me go a step further. We have a knowable God who wants to know you and be known by you. We have a knowable God. Even though he's incomprehensible, we can never fully know him. Listen, he wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you. And listen, he created you for his pleasure. Revelation 4, verse number 11. We read it at the start. Here is what it says. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Another translation says this, for your pleasure we are and were created. For your pleasure. Listen, y'all, God created you for his pleasure. 
He wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me, but he wants you. He wants a relationship with you. If you don't know God this morning, this God that we've, we've talked about maybe this morning was just a glimpse into the person of God for you. Maybe this morning was a reminder of all the incredible things about this God that we worship. Listen, if you don't know God this morning, he invites you into a relationship with him. He wants to know you and be known by you. And God, this morning, I just want to say thank you for who you are. God, we've just barely begun to hit the tip of the iceberg in, in who you are and what you are, are like, God. And we could spend the rest of our days, every single day of, of our life, and never, ever plumb the depths of, of who you are. But God, thank you that you have given us enough to know you and to have a relationship with you. Lord, I do pray for those who might be in here this morning that don't know you. They've never confessed their sin. They've never turned from their own ways. They've never turned their heart toward you. God, maybe even this morning you are drawing them to you. You're opening their eyes to the reality of who you are, that God, though you are just and righteous and holy and you will bring wrath and judgment upon sin, God, you are more than, than that. You are a God who is loving and gracious and merciful and long-suffering. God, that you have withheld your wrath and your judgment in hopes that we would come to faith in you. And God, maybe even today there's someone in here that hears your voice, that senses the, the pull of your spirit upon their heart. God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. God, help them to submit themselves to you in, in humility and in faith. And God, for many, many of us, we know you, we have a relationship with you, and today is a reminder of, of how vast and glorious and majestic you are. God, would you bring our hearts back over and, and over again, even today, just to tune our hearts to bring it into harmony with you and your word and your will for our lives, God. We love you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of, of knowing you and being known by you. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name.